Today's episode of Carson Sack Podcast is brought to you by Bumble, where women make the first move. Connecting has never been more fun, safe, or awesome. Bumble shows you the people you want to see and lets you connect by a mutual opt and by swiping right. This week's episode is also brought to you by Honey Bunches of Oats. What is it about Honey Bunches of Oats? Maybe it's the crunchy oat cluster with a touch of honey. Maybe it's the three different types of crispy flakes in each box. Whatever it is, that irresistible combination has a way of quickly disappearing. So go ahead, dig in. Sometimes we wonder why we even bother with an expiration date. Hit that ish. Is it good to be back? Welcome to Carson Sack Podcast. This is episode 23. We are in our LeBron year. That is right, LeBron, not Jordan. LeBron year here on Carson Sack Podcast where we talk balls. I want to apologize before I get into anything of this week about my absence last week. Just had a lot going on. And like I said before, I am a student first. So I had to take care of some school obligations, but I am back and I can guarantee you this week's episode is going to be better than ever. I can promise you that. As always, college football, NFL, those balls are going to be talked about. Then the MLB playoffs are still in full swing, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. And then the NBA season kicked off last night. We're going to dive headfirst into that. I'm going to give you my predictions for the award winners at the end of the year and who's going to be raising the Larry O'Brien trophy at the end of the year in June. Once again, before we get into anything, though, I do just want to say thank you for listening. And also, if on iTunes you could subscribe and leave a review, boy, golly gee, that would be wonderful. I can't see how many subscribers I have, and if there's a way to do so, I still haven't learned that yet. So if anybody does know how to do that, help a brother out. But while you're there, just Hit the subscribe button. It's pretty easy. It takes like half a second once you're there. And if you want to leave a review, probably takes maybe 15 seconds at most. So you're looking at 15 and a half seconds out of 24 hours you have in a day. All you got to do, just click a button and click a few keys and bada boom, bada bing, it's done. So again, thank you for listening. But as always, please subscribe. And if you're feeling generous, leave a review on the iTunes store. So let's get things going. We're going to jump right into some college football talk. There's no time to waste. Got a lot to get to on this episode. And this weekend in college football, the past week, it was the weekend of upsets. I mean, Clemson, they went to Syracuse and lost. Washington State went to Cal. They got beat. Auburn goes to LSU. LSU wins. And then you got... Uh, Washington, fifth in the country. They go to Arizona State, and they lose to all top 10 teams going down and going down hard this past weekend. So let's dive into a few of those games and talk about what's going on in the crazy world of college football. So, I mean, the first game we got to look at, I feel like, is Clemson going to Syracuse and getting upset. Syracuse, this entire game, Syracuse was really just hitting big play after big play. They weren't really having long, sustained drives or anything like that. It was just 
oh, here's a here's a 12-yard pass, here's a 10-yard run, here's a 15-yard pass, just things like that. Not really like Clemson's defense to really give up those type of big plays. So you're going to see probably more teams try and um, use what Syracuse did, which was really just force the issue to get the ball down the field in any way possible and get things on the edge rather than trying to attack up the middle through the middle, um, the strength of Clemson's defense, their D-line, and their uh, front seven and linebackers. But the other news here in this is Kelly Bryant, he left the game, Clemson's quarterback left the game, uh, injury. Um, I really like how he was playing this year. Granted, he he was a bit of a game manager. I'll give him that, yes. A, a little bit better than a game manager. I'll, I'll say that, but... He showed he had the tools to let Clemson win big games. He wasn't beating them at all. I mean, they went to Louisville, they won that. They went to Virginia Tech, won that. He played very good in both those games. Didn't turn the ball over, got them in positions to score, and capitalized on all their opportunities they had in those games. But I'm interested to see how Clemson now rebounds after this loss in no way do I think they're out of the college football playoff or anything I mean if they win the ACC they have this one loss I mean they won it last year and they lost to Pittsburgh so no no need to worry for any Clemson fans out there I still think you make the college football playoff and I still think you have a great chance to win it but shout out to the boys up in Syracuse for pulling off a huge upset 27-24 over the second ranked Clemson Tigers and now the next game we look at, I am I was super I still am super high on this team. But Washington State goes to Cal and they just get the shit kicked out of them. The Cougars lose the game to the Bears 37 to 3. And Luke Falk, who I I could have seen him in New York for the Heisman ceremony. Honestly, he was playing really well, was went obviously was winning games. They had won their first six games undefeated, but he threw five interceptions at this game. Cal's defense literally drew up a perfect game plan. They put themselves in great positions. They blitzed a little bit more than what Washington State had seen all year, and that pressure really affected Fox decision making as you I mean five interceptions. That's that's a huge amount. That's two that's five too many, if you ask me. But again, Washington State, I don't think they're out of the playoff race just yet. I mean, if they win the Pac-12, they got a great chance to be right there. And a lot of things did happen in the Pac-12 this past week with um, Washington as well. So, And Washington State has already beat USC, so there's still a lot of question marks going on in the Pac-12. But Cal moves to 4-3 and three. once again. It just shows... Anything can happen on any given Saturday, and how hard this whole week, I'll just get to it right now, this whole past weekend of college football shows just how hard it is to be consistently good for 12 to 15 games a year if you make it to your conference championship and the playoff and everything like that, 15 games. How hard it is to be consistent on a weekend to week out basis that's why teams like in Alabama I mean yes they do get upset sometimes too but teams like Alabama and Clemson who yes again they got upset this week but normally week in week out just so good and just so okay Ohio State yes they do lose but upset like that doesn't really happen that often and it's just so 
hard. All this week shows that it's so hard to be so consistent for such a long period of time that is the college football season. And then the next game, you have Auburn, 10th in the country. They went down to LSU, and LSU was down 20-0 to in this game, and then they come back and win it 27-23. Their whole offense just did a tire 180. They couldn't get anything going, but even more to be spoke on is their defense. Their defense just took it to another notch when they needed to in this game, which all year, their physicality has been a big question for them. I mean, when they played Troy, Troy was more physical than them, and that's just that shouldn't be the case. You're LSU. You're an SEC team. You're one of the top con- top teams, top programs in the country. No team should be more physical than you in that aspect, especially a Troy like that. But this game started off wasn't that great. weren't as physical as they need to be, but they. <clears throat> they answered the challenge that I guess Orgeron gave to them because they came out in the second half. They shut Auburn's offense down, which has been very good all year, Auburn's offense. Their defense, Auburn's defense, has one of the best in the country as well. But again, LSU's offense just did a total 180 after halftime, and somehow LSU came out on top. So big win for them. I wouldn't be surprised to see LSU ranked this week. If they can keep things going, I don't think, no, they don't make the playoff or anything, but they can be a really, really dangerous and good team this year. And then the last of these big upsets from this past week, you had the fifth-ranked Washington Huskies. They went to the 3-3 three and three Arizona State Sun Devils. And the big story of this was Arizona State's defense. They held Jake Browning to 139 yards. That's it. No touchdowns, no Nothing. Just 139 yards. They didn't turn the ball over. Arizona State's defense just showed up and was flat out better than what Chris Peterson and the Huskies had for them on offense. Again, like I mentioned, Washington not out of this, not out of the big, uh, the Pac-12 championship, and not out of the football playoff, college football playoff at all. I think the Pac-12 is the most interesting conference this year just because of how many people you got USC, um, Washington State, Washington, Stanford, Utah. So many teams that could have a chance to win the Pac-12. And if one of these teams is sitting there with one loss, do you keep them out of the college football playoff? I don't think so. I really don't think you can. It's interesting to see now that the Big 12 has a championship game, how that's going to factor in. But the Pac-12, to me, is the most interesting conference right now just because of how many teams they have at the top that could actually end up winning the whole damn thing. But like I said, this past weekend, Arizona State beats Washington. Washington not out of it by a long shot. But again, this whole past weekend in college football shows just how hard it is to be good and consistent week in and week out over a 12 to 15 game season. This upcoming week of college football, a lot of teams have their bye weeks. So there's really only two games I want to dive really deeply into the first one though rivalry as old as time you got the 11th ranked usc trojans going to south bend to face the 13th ranked notre dame fighting irish um from what i'm seeing not a lot of people are giving usc a chance right now usc is a three and a half point underdog um notre dame did make a change 
to um, win Bush at quarterback, which has really helped them and their season just progressed. But I just, I just don't see how USC isn't the favorite here. I mean Notre Dame, I I still just can't trust them fully, and it's we're six games into the season right now, and I just can't fully expect them to be there every week. They what Notre Dame is now, I feel like, is a team that it's a, relying a little bit too much on history because it's, what have you done for me lately? Yes, I know they had the undefeated season a couple years ago with Manti Teo, but then they got destroyed by Alabama in the national championship game. After that, their seasons has just been up and down, up and down, just as much as a freaking roller coaster at Six Flags. But in this one, I like USC. I like Sam Darnell to go in there. I expect him to have a four-touchdown, 300-yard game, honestly, put the team on his back and just win. Um, I think this is a big statement game, and I think if he keeps playing and puts up bigger numbers than what he's been doing in the past, he's right back in the Heisman race as well. I know he was everybody's favorite at the start, and he's kind of disappointed a little bit. I mean, 15 touchdowns, 9 interceptions, not great numbers there, but if he can keep progressing, keep going, and... They don't give Heisman's to people that are on bad teams. USC sitting at 11th. If they keep winning games, they'll just keep going up in the rankings. And if they do keep winning games, a lot of it's going to be because of Sam Darnell, a quarterback, I feel like. So I expect the Trojans to win this one probably by more than seven, honestly. I just don't see Notre Dame being able to hang with them and cause that much of a problem for the Trojans this weekend. And I expect a big game out of Darnell and to hopefully... Just get him back in the Heisman talks. And then the next game, we got a big, big 10 matchup. We got the 19th-ranked Michigan Wolverines going to the second-ranked Penn State Nittany Lions. And I'm just going to get this right out there. I think Penn State's going to win this game. The only thing that really concerns me about this game is... It concerns me about this game and it concerns me down the line for Penn State as well. Uh... Barkley, the running back for Penn State, is their leading receiver as well. He's got 395 yards, two touchdowns, 29 receptions, all that. They need to develop a passing game and get pressure off of McSorley and Barkley. They need to develop something that can be a compliment to Barkley because right now he is doing everything for them. McSorley at quarterback and Barkley at running back, they are that offense. And there's going to be teams that down the stretch, Penn State has a brutal schedule down the stretch. And it starts with Michigan, and then the week after that, they go to Ohio State. But we'll get to that later. But Michigan, I feel like they're going to be able to expose that a little bit where the passing game is going to need to be called upon, and McSorley is going to need to make some plays through the air with his arm. And he can. He's a very he's above-average passer. I mean, he's got 13 touchdowns, um, almost 1,600 yards through the air, only four touchdowns. I'm not saying he can't. I'm just saying for Penn State to continue to be in the college football playoff talks and national championship talks as well because that's a good possibility for them. Their defense is very underappreciated, and their offense with McSorley and Barkley, one of the best in the country. But if they want to take that step, I feel like, to the next level, they need to develop a a respectable pass game where teams can't just keep loading the box and whatnot against uh, Barkley. But I think that... I think Michigan is able to expose that a little bit, but not enough. And I think Penn State 
pulls out a very good, very impressive, hard-fought win on Saturday night. So that is all I want to talk about from this week. But the first official college football playoff rankings did come out last night, and they are as followed. I'm only going to give you the top 10. So your top four, though, you got Alabama number one, Penn State number two, Georgia number three, and then TCU is sitting at fourth. Sitting at number five, you have Wisconsin, followed by Ohio State, Clemson, Miami, and then sitting at ninth. And 10th, you got a pair of Oklahoma schools. You got Oklahoma at 9 and then Oklahoma State at 10. So the Big Ten has five schools in the top 25 with Penn State, Wisconsin, Ohio State. Michigan is at 19th and then Michigan State is at 18th. And then the Pac-12, which I said a very interesting conference, you got... Um, you got USC at 11th, Washington at 12th. Both of those are at six and one. And then you have Washington state. They're at 15th. They're at six and one. And then Stanford, they're at 22nd in the country. They're at five and two. Like I said, very interested to see how all of that is going to play out out West in the pac 12. And then the Big 12, they got four teams in there as well. You got West Virginia at 23rd. They're 4-2 and two on the year. And then you got Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. And then you got TCU at 4th. That's going to be interesting to see how those things shake up. A lot of those teams still need to play each other. And then the state of Florida is well represented. At 8th, you got Miami, who nobody is really talking about enough, in my opinion. They're going to be a big contender to challenge Clemson in the ACC. They're bringing the swagger back of old, it feels like, down there in Miami of the old U. So that's interesting to see. And then UCF, who... I don't know if they only won a game or didn't win a game at all last year, but they're sitting at 5-0. and And then USF with Brandon Flowers. I I hope that's your first name. I'm sorry if it's not, but I know Flowers at quarterback for you all at uh, USF with Charlie Strong down there is very good. Quentin, Quentin Flowers, my apologies. But they are plugging along as well. Don't rule out any of those. Don't rule out the Knights or the Bulls at all in this college football playoff because anything can happen. There are still so many good games left to be played. Right now, like I said, the top four, the college, if the season ended today, the college football playoff would be Alabama against TCU and then Penn State versus Georgia. I'm totally fine with that. That would be a great college football playoff. I would love to see it. It's I It would go great, but like I said, there's a ton of games left to be played. If anybody, I think, has, I don't want to say a surefire spot wrapped up into the college football playoff, but I, it's got to be Alabama. I mean, let's look at their schedule. They got Tennessee this week, and then they do have LSU, but that's at Alabama, and then they have they go to Mississippi State where, yes, Fitzpatrick dynamic, but not good enough to beat Alabama all by himself. And then they have Mercer, whatever. And then they do go to Auburn, but, yes, say they do lose that game. Auburn already has two losses, one to a SEC West team in LSU. So if Alabama beats LSU, and which I really think they're going to. They hold the tiebreaker over everybody, and they still go to the SEC championship game where I think they do ultimately end up winning that game no matter who they face out of the East, which could be Georgia, which I'll get to them in a second. 
Before that, though, we got to look at Penn State, and right now they are getting into a rough stretch down the stretch for them. Rough stretch of games, starting with Michigan going to Penn State, and then which I think Penn State wins, not a problem, honestly, but then they go to the sixth-ranked Ohio State Buckeyes, and the way they've progressed since the Oklahoma loss, they're dangerous. They really are. JT Barrett's gotten better, and I know that's... That I am an Ohio State and I'm saying that, but still, he's gotten better and it shows in his performance and it shows in how they've just been dominating games, honestly. And so has their defense. Their secondary at the start of the year, the Indiana and the Oklahoma game, was god-awful. But they have progressed. Their front seven has only gotten better and I didn't think that was possible. But that's a huge game with playoff implications and Big Ten championship game implications there. So I can't wait for that game. That's going to go on. And then after the Ohio State game, Penn State has to go to Michigan State. They're 18th in the country. That's going to be another difficult game. And then it eases back because they finish up with Rutgers, Nebraska, and Maryland. Two of those, the Rutgers game and the Nebraska game at Penn State. But these next three games are going to be real difficult for Penn State. And like I said in the preview for the Michigan game, they need to develop a passing game where it's not all on McSorley and Barkley to win, to, to yes, to win games, but they need a passing game to complement what those two can do on the ground rather than just depending all on those guys. And then the next team, like I told you we talked about, we got Georgia. They're third in the country. They go to Florida this week. Never an easy game down there at the Swamp, so that could be a loss for them. But then they got South Carolina coming to them. Not an easy game either. But then Georgia, they go to Auburn. I think that's going to be one of the better games of the entire college football season. I hope both these teams don't lose another game before that. Georgia, if they don't, at worst, they'll be in the top five. I couldn't see them being knocked out of the top top four, but you never know with these crazy college football panelists, whatever they want to do, they do. And then Auburn, if they stay at their two-loss record, they'll be top 15 at least. So you have a top 15 matchup right there already on top of the stakes that would already be there to, to help both these teams their college football playoff resumes. Georgia's offense, very good. Great stable of running backs. Auburn's defense, very good. Not talked about a lot. Georgia's defense, very, very good. Maybe the best in the country. And then Auburn and their quarterback just getting better each week. I can't wait for this game. Like I said, I hope things stay how they're going. I both... I hope these teams don't lose another game until that game because the game's already going to be big enough, but with the implications that it could have on and for the SEC championship game and the college football playoff, cannot wait for this. Georgia, though, I still like them a lot to make the college football playoff, even if they do slip up in one of these games because they can still win the East and then more than likely do play Alabama in the, play, in the SEC championship game. And if you beat them... And you're a one-loss team, how you win the SEC, you're one-loss, and you beat Alabama, how could you be kept out of the college football playoff, honestly? And then, just to wrap up the whole college football talk for this week, we look at TCU, who's fourth in the country. Again, I'm super hot on them. Kenny Hill, their whole uh, Gary Peterson, how he's got them playing, the defense down there, just really excited for that team and that program. They... Out of the top four, have the easier schedule going down the stretch. Um, they got Kansas and then Iowa State 
these next two weeks. Yes, Iowa State did beat Oklahoma, and that could always happen again, but I just don't foresee it happening. And then they do have Texas, but that is at TCU. But then uh, the game after that, you got TCU going to Oklahoma. That's going to be a huge game as well for the Big 12 um, conference championship game. That could be a rematch right there, honestly, a little preview of what could come. But then after that, they got to go to Texas Tech, it's their hard games are hard, but their easy games are very easy. That's why I say they have the easier schedule, easiest schedule of the top four teams left. I still think the only team out of the top four that is a lock to make the college football playoff is Alabama. Everything else right now is so up for grabs and so just just huge question marks around the country, but I just think Alabama with their schedule, what they have, and the opportunities they have for winnable games and winnable big games, I just think you pencil them in there somewhere in the top four to be in Atlanta, not only for the SEC championship game and for the college football playoff as well. So just to switch things up on you a little bit more, we're going to move to MLB talk now. And the final four teams that are left in the – championship series you got the Astros against the Yankees from the AL and then you got the Dodgers against the Cubs in the NL and boy these two series could not be any different you got the series tied two games apiece between the Astros and the Yankees and then the Dodgers they're up three nothing on the defending World Series champion Cubs the Yankees, their whole season, whole whole postseason story has been, hey, we lose games on the road, we get down 0-2 in series like they did against the Indians, knock them out, won three games in a row, and then same thing they did against the Astros, they lose the first two games at Houston, everybody thinks, oh, they, this team's not good enough, this team's not for real, but then I, it's just something about the Bronx, apparently, that brings out this whole this world beater team in the Yankees because they won the last two games. The series is now tied 2-2 and I I personally think the Yankees have have the momentum obviously in the series now, but I think they got a really good chance to actually end up winning the whole damn thing of the series and the World Series just because how they play in New York is just so I I want to say unbeatable, honestly. It's what it seems like. They had the best record in the MLB at home in the regular season, and it just spills right over into the playoffs as well. If they can get past the Astros, which is no small task, the Astros pitching, they got Verlander still to come. They got Keuchel too. Those two guys are good. That, um, there's, there's a lot that can still go on because, I mean, there's only been four games played. You need to win two more to win, so... I'm going to take the Astros in seven, honestly. And I think the only reason to go seven is because there's a game, there's another game back in New York after this. And then the deciding game seven is in Houston. So I'm going to give the Astros the upper hand in that one. But I expect this game, this series to go seven. And it's going to be a good series. But in the end, just because the game seven is in Houston at the Astros, I'm going to take the Astros. And then we flip sides to the NL, and this series has just been more of what the Cubs haven't been doing. They haven't been playing baseball like we've really become accustomed to these last few years. They've been making so many errors and just really, I don't want to say beating themselves because 
the Dodgers are playing hell of a series as well, but they're just making so many mistakes that the World Series champions don't make. And I mean, it's gonna keep it's gonna keep them from winning the World Series, obviously, if they keep making these mistakes, but they're just not playing as well as I feel like we've come accustomed to these past two to three years. So don't not taking anything away from the Dodgers. I personally didn't think the Dodgers were gonna be they're mentally enough managerial wise to make a dent in these playoffs. I didn't think they were going to, I did think they were going to get past the, whoever won the wild card, either the Rockies or the Dimebacks, and they did. But I thought, I didn't think they'd have a chance against either the Nationals or the Cubs. And I mean, Clayton Kershaw, always ace, he's there, but their secondary pitchers with Darvish tonight, he went to the seventh inning and only gave up a run. Like, that's that's the type of things you need to win the World Series is you need these secondary pitchers like Darvish to step up, which he has done. He had a bit of an up-and-down past couple of years. This year, before he got traded from the Rangers to the Dodgers, he was very hit-and-miss. His ERA was way up. I think it was the highest of his career so far, but it just goes to show maybe a change of scenery is nice. I don't want to count out the Cubs, obviously, just yet. I mean... They came back from a 3-1 lead. Why not come back the next year and come back from a 3-0 lead and win it all? But I think the game I think it goes five. I think the Cubs do get one in Wrigley, but well, no, not even in Wrigley. They gotta get one at Los Angeles. I think it does go five still, but I think the Dodgers, they're going to the World Series. So I guess it's the Dodgers versus the Astros and I'm not going to speak on that yet because the, who knows? It might not even happen, but just quick little synopsis there. I'll take the Astros in that one over the Dodgers. But like I said, there's still a lot of baseball in both of these series to be played. So we'll just see how all that pans out. But just wanted to give you, the listeners of the SAC, a little update on what was going on on the diamond of the major leagues. So now after we talked college football and we talked MLB, we get to now talk about NFL and first game. Boom. Browns, Texans, we in the city of the purple Sprite and someone call Malaya and tell her I'm on fire. She should work tonight is what Deshaun Watson was saying after he throws for three touchdowns in a big 33-17 win over the Browns. Next game. Boom. Steelers, Chiefs, Christopher Columbus and the Steelers tell the Chiefs to hey, get out of town to give birth to the steel and industrial revolution as the Steelers hand the Chiefs their first loss on the year through a big game from Le'Veon Bell. 32 carries, 179 yards and a touchdown. Steelers win this one 19-13. Next game, boom, Dolphins at the Falcons and the Dolphins must have found their ex-coach a secret stash of blow because coming back from a 17-0 halftime deficit, the Dolphins come and win 27-20 unanswered points. Next game, boom, Packers at the Vikings and Aaron Rodgers out for the year, supposedly. And who comes in? Brett Hundley. Not the first Brett there in Green Bay. The last Brett, known for sending dick pics. This Brett, I guess known for just playing like dick. Three interceptions as the Vikings get a big divisional win. 23-10 over the Packers. Next game, boom. The Patriots aren't no hollaback girls, but I guess they are some touchback girls. After some questionable calls against the Jets, the Patriots win this hard-fought game in the AFC East 24-17 to claim first place. 
Last game, boom, Giants at Broncos. Game at Mile High, and the Giants brought the two-ply because Denver, they were just playing like shit. After four huge injuries this past week, including to Odell Beckham Jr., the Giants win this one 23-10, getting their first win of the year. So now after that rapid-fire recap, we can now look into these games of the NFL that are upcoming this weekend. The first one we can look at, it's a big AFC West game. Thursday night, Thursday night, excuse me. You have the Chiefs going to the Raiders. Raiders 2 and 4 on the year, having a very disappointing year so far through the first 6 games. Chiefs coming off their first loss of the year. Derek Carr injured for the last 2 games, did come back the last game. I think he's going to be able to come back, play a little bit better this week. He's got eight touchdowns on the year and four interceptions. What has been lacking, though, for the Raiders has been a run game. Marshawn Lynch, their leading rusher, only has 250 yards on the year. He does have two touchdowns, though, but I'm interested to see how that's going to develop. And the Raiders' defense has been a little bit less than what people have expected as well. I was really big on the Raiders' defense this year because they have so much talent. Khalil Mack, um, Carl Joseph, and just a ton of other players. And then they got Conley in the draft as well from Ohio State, the cornerback. There's a lot of talent there. On the other side of the ball, um, the Chiefs, like I said, coming off their first loss, I don't think they really have anything to be worried about either. They almost won that game against the Steelers. I mean, they only lost by six as well. They had their opportunities. Alex Smith, he's still playing pretty good right now. People are saying he's the MVP, and I mean, I could see how you could say he's got 12 touchdowns, almost 1,700 yards, and a 5-1 and one record. The story, I think, of the year so far, one of them at least, is Kareem Hunt coming out of nowhere. He's almost got 700 yards, four touchdowns as a rookie. He's brought a dynamic to that offense that hasn't been there since Jamal Charles was in his prime with a running back that can catch the ball and run it out of the backfield. Just really, really, if you're a Chiefs fan, you should be really excited because this nucleus of players that you all have that are good is super young, and some would say not even in their prime yet. So in this game, though, I'm going to take Oakland. I think they need this win a lot more than the Chiefs do. I think they're a little bit more desperate, and it's at home at the Raiders, so I'm going to take the Raiders in this one in a big, big game in the AFC West. Now, the next game we look at, we got the 2-3 and three Bengals going to the 4-2 and two Pittsburgh Steelers. In this one, I like Pittsburgh. I'm going to be honest. Um, I'm interested to see how they attack Cincinnati's defense because the game plan last week against the Chiefs was get the ball to Le'Veon. He had 32 carries. I'm not sure how many touches he had because I know he's good for at least five to six checkdowns or passes in the game too. So conservatively, let's say he got 40 touches last week. I don't know if he as a player can keep doing that week in and week out. Luckily though, the Steelers do have other players. They got Antonio Brown. Um, what is maybe concerned is Martavius Bryant. After the game, there were reports he wanted trades, but then he tweeted he's totally happy, back to work, can't wait to play Cincinnati at Pittsburgh. All this. He's one of, in my opinion, the better younger wide receivers. He needs to become more complete because right now he really, he's not just a deep threat, but that is normally all that 
people think about when you bring him up as a player. So if he can get a little bit more well-rounded as a route runner, as a pass catcher, and things like that, I think he can be one of the better receivers in the NFL just because of its explosiveness that you always have to respect with him and the deep ball. On the other side of the ball, what is a little concerning to me is how Cincinnati just nothing really seems to be clicking for them on either side of the ball. And yes, Andy Dalton, 1,200 yards, seven touchdowns, but six interceptions on the year. And then A.J. Green only has 32 receptions through six games. You would think, well, five games for the Bengals, but you would think that they would be force-feeding him the ball with, I mean, all they got is John Ross out at receiver, and then Tyler Eifert, he's out. There's really nobody else there, and I guess defenses are realizing that too. That's maybe why he's got 32 receptions, but still, you would think that with a rookie running back like Mixon and that whole committee that hasn't really been defined yet, that you would be trying just to get your playmaker, your superstar on the team, the ball as much as possible. And 32, that's just not enough through five games. So in this one, I like Pittsburgh to win this one. It's always always a chippy matchup. Expect the referees to call it close. But in the end, I like Pittsburgh to come out on top on this one. And then the next game we look at is the Sunday night game. It's a rematch of the Super Bowl from last year. We got the Falcons going to New England. I want to just get it right out there. I think New England wins this game, but I think it is an extremely close game because New England's defense has struggled all year, and the Falcons' offense has enough playmakers with Mohamed Sanu. I know that's a weird one to start it off with, but Mohamed Sanu, uh, Devontae Freeman, Tevin Coleman, Julio Jones, and then Taylor Gabriel, the deep threat for them. Their offense has enough weapons to really exploit that defense, but I just think that at in Foxborough, Sunday night, Brady, he's not going to just come out and play terrible, so... I think he does enough to get the Patriots in a winning position. And, I mean, it's Tom Brady and the Patriots. It's Bill Belichick, Sunday Night Football in Foxborough. I'm going to take the Patriots just because of that. Their defense their defense for this game and the entire year needs to get better. I don't know how they need to do it, what they need to do, change coverages, change schemes. I just don't know. But if they want to be contenders and win the Super Bowl and not – just have to rely all on Tom Brady because, yeah, good offenses, they can get you there, but great defenses win championships. And that They don't have that. They don't have that right now at all. So they need to develop and figure out a way for their defense to step up. And I don't know if this game is really the time to do that because, like I just said, the Falcons have so much offensive firepower. But in the end, I'm going to take the Patriots in this one in a very good, hard-fought, close game on Sunday Night Football. But again, Patriots over the Falcons, just like in last year's Super Bowl. And then the last game I want to talk about, it's the Monday night matchup between the Redskins and the Eagles, an NFC East matchup, big matchup. I'm going to take the Redskins in this one just because I think Kirk Cousins and then Chris Thompson, Chris Thompson out of the backfield, he's provided great rushing. He's got two touchdowns through that. And then out of the backfield, he can catch the ball as well, which is very very big for this Redskins offense who needs as many playmakers as possible. I mean, they got Pryor, they got Doxson, they got Reed, and then they add Thompson out of the backfield just to give Cousins another weapon. That's super helpful. Their defense is, I'll be honest with you, it's a little 
it leaves a little to be desired. On the other end, the Eagles, everything right now is just clicking for them. So it's pretty, pretty controversial, I guess, air quotes, pick for me to pick the Redskins. But I just feel like they're going to go in and just outplay the Eagles. I think Washington's defense is going to really show up in this game and shut down shut down the Garrett Blount and make Carson Wentz beat them through there. And I think he can, but I think he makes one or two mistakes. I mean, he is only technically a sophomore in the league, so he makes one or two mistakes that cost them the game. But I don't think the Eagles are out of the playoff race at all. I still think they have a good chance to win the NFC East. It's either the Cowboys or the Eagles, in my opinion, in this division. But on Monday night, I got the Redskins over the Eagles and a bit of a shocker, if you ask me. And so now that we wrap up the NFL talk, we can finally get to some MBA. So, like I said, the NBA season started last night, but before we dive into all that, I just want to give my predictions on who's going to win the end of the year um, awards, and that's going to start with the rookie of the year, and I think that's going to go to Ben Simmons out of Philadelphia. I just think he has been so forgotten about in things with all the players that have come in with Markel Fultz, with Lonzo, with... Um, just all these other players that have come into the league that he has had a year to really just sit and watch and just pick up on things that, yeah, it, it hasn't happened in the game. He hasn't played a game yet in the NBA, but I think this whole year that he had to just sit there and watch and just really, I get probably get angry and just upset that he couldn't play. is just going to fuel him this entire year. And I think Ben Simmons has a huge year on his way to getting the Sixers to the playoffs and getting him the NBA Rookie of the Year award at the end of the year. And then moving on, the Sixth Man of the Year award. Last night, I think it was a preview of what it is going to be. Nick Young had 23 points. He led the Warriors in scoring, actually. I think he's going to win the uh, six men of the year because I think in that team so many people the pace of play they get so many possessions on offense that he is such a sharp shooter from three honestly that he's gonna have so many opportunities to just put up points and put up numbers and stats that if he can just keep playing well enough like he did I don't expect him to have 23 every night or 20 or, I imagine him to average around 13 or 14 honestly when he does play and that's good to me that's good enough to win Six man of the year. So I'm going to take Nick Young out of Golden State from the Bay to win six man of the year. And then moving on, the next is the most improved player. And I'm going to go Andrew Wiggins on this. He just signed a huge extension with Minnesota. And there's a lot of expectations for Minnesota once they brought in Jimmy Butler. They already had uh, Carl Anthony Towns and Wiggins there. But Wiggins, he's always been, a to me, a good player, but never like... An incredible offensive player. He has skills where he can get the ball in the hoop. He's a great driver, great penetrator, can throw down great dunks, but he can get to the rim at will. But his shooting has always left a little to be desired for me. So I think with this Mac contract that he just got, the extension he got, and all the pressure that 
has put on them to make the playoffs now that they have some more pieces in place. I think it's time for him as well to take that next step to elevate his game. And I think he does it this year. I think he does it in a big way, enough to catch people's eyes. And I think Andrew Wiggins is this year's most improved player. And then moving on to the defensive player of the year, I'm going to give it to Kawhi, but I, I personally don't like Kawhi that much. I just don't. I just can't get behind him right now. I'm not saying I can't in the future, but right now I'm just not a big Kawhi Leonard fan. Um, I wish they would look more into like players like Rudy Gobert or Hawan Hassan Whiteside, just because they're out there blocking shots and they came close a couple of times last year. I mean, Whiteside did it where he got triple doubles with blocks. That doesn't happen really anymore, but he doesn't do it on a consistent enough basis. I know he did league the lead lead the league in blocks last year but still it just doesn't do it enough but overall Kawhi is always I guess thought of throughout the league by fans and players as the defensive stopper so I'm going to give it to Kawhi this year he came in third last year behind Draymond who won it and then Rudy Gobert I expect Rudy to be up there again Draymond of course to be up there again but at the end of this year I'm going to give it to Kawhi to win the defensive player of the year okay now we move on to the NBA's most valuable player. Last year, Russell Westbrook won it, and then you had James Harden and Kawhi Leonard finishing second and third. This year, I don't think Russ is going to win it. I think he's got too many other players with Paul George and Carmelo Anthony joining him that it's just a little difficult for him to have to... I don't think he's going to be able to put up the same numbers as he did last year. I don't think anybody uh, from Golden State is going to win it just because they have too many people. So you take out... a ton of candidates there and take out three candidates with the Thunder. Honestly, I think this year it's James Harden's just because, yes, I understand you add Chris Paul, but Chris Paul only had four points in the first game they had against Golden State and the Rockets scored 121 points. So I think Chris Paul is going to bring He's going to take away some points and some assists and some stats from James Harden, but I still think it's James Harden's team down there. I still think he's going to run the show, and I like that for his chances because he came in second last year, almost won it, had good enough numbers to win it if Russell Westbrook didn't play out of his freaking mind and average a triple-double. So this year, I'm going to take James Harden, their team got better with Chris Paul, so they all, all can't focus in on James Harden with the ball in his hands because there's other players there now that can do damage like Chris Paul, like an Eric Gordon, like a Trevor Ariza, stuff like that. So at the end of the day, I'm going to take James Harden. Other players, LeBron, I still think, should win it every, every year because he honestly is the most valuable player to anybody. I mean, last year, I guess, was the only year I think you could say that if you took Russell Westbrook off that team, they would be awful. Normally, that's the case for LeBron, but last year, I think Russell really was the most valuable player. LeBron should always be in the conversation. Kawhi will be up there, too. A name that could could get some um, interest going around is uh, Kyrie now because Gordon Hayward's out, and... They were going to be running mates up there in Boston, so now Kyrie's going to have to take over games and have to put up big points for them to win. Gordon Hayward, tragic injury, first game of the year last night. 
So Kyrie might get a little interest. A lot of people are saying Giannis Akatapuko from uh, Milwaukee. I just don't think his game and him mentally as a player is ready to beat. He's going to put up good numbers, obviously. I mean, he's a He's the Greek freak. He's freakishly athletic. He's going to put up good numbers, but I don't think as a player or mentally he's ready to take that next step and become an MVP of a league like that. So at the end of the day, I'm going to give the MVP for the 2017-2018 season to James Harden. Last night, though, just to get into some games, you had the Celtics going to the Cavs in a bit of a reunion uh, Kyrie going back to Cleveland. LeBron James almost had a triple-double. He had 29 points. He had 16 rebounds, and he had 9 assists. Only 4 turnovers with that. He played 41 minutes, so 7 minutes. Interested to see how Ty Lue is going to manage his minutes throughout the year. It always is. He's getting older, blah, 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 blah. He needs to play less, but if LeBron feels good, I throw him out there as long as he wants. Dwayne Wade came back, had a pretty nice game, too. He's going to be really important, I feel like, for the entire, uh, I don't want to say the entire, but for a lot of success that the Cavs have, just because he's going to provide minutes. I mean, he played 29 minutes. He's good defensively. He only had eight points. He had three assists, two rebounds. I just feel like, though, he's going to need to play in certain moments in the playoffs. He's going to need to play up. Up to old D-Wade standards, and I think he can because last year he averaged, I think, 16 points. This year, this team is a lot deeper, so he's not going to need to play as much. Going to keep him, I think, well-rested more for the playoffs. So I'm interested to see how that's handled as well. Kevin Love is always the forgotten man on this team. Um, 15 points, 11 rebounds. Hit a clutch three at the end to seal the game for the Cavs. I'm interested to see how they're going to bring... Isaiah Thomas back. Derrick Rose played real well last night. He had 14 points and two assists. I like how he's coming along. If he can play half as good as he did his MVP year, they got a good point guard for until Isaiah's back. And then once Isaiah's back, they got a good backup point guard and a guy that can come be a change of pace guy for them. I'm excited for the Cavs season. They got a lot of deep position. They're deep in many positions and I think it's the East is theirs again, as always. And then out West, we had the Rockets going to the Warriors, and the Rockets win this one 122-121 to in a bit of a stunner. I still thought it was possible for the Warriors to win every game. <coughs> Excuse me. The Warriors, in my opinion, could still go 81-1. and That's how good I think this team really is. You have those big four... And those big four, literally, yeah, one person might be off on a night, but there's three other people that could step up and get it for you with Durant, Thompson, Green, and Curry. The big question, I think, of the West this year is going to be, is anybody going to be able to really challenge the Warriors come playoff time? Uh, the Thunder added Paul George, Carmelo Anthony, got a lot more superstars out there. They do lose some depth on their bench, which was a concern last year as well. So I don't know if they're going to be able to just because of how important the bench is come playoff time. And then the Rockets, they add Chris Paul. They already got James Harden. They already got Eric Gordon, two great three-point shooters, two great guys that can get to the rim pretty quickly, pretty easily. James Harden, my MVP pick, but I just don't think they, in a series, they could win four games against the Warriors. And then 
everybody's pick that just always seems to go into the radar a little bit, the Spurs. Kawhi had the Spurs up 20 at Oracle, and then Zaza breaks his ankle. <coughs> Excuse me. And ends that series pretty much because the Spurs were nothing about him. I think if any team is going to come close, it's going to be the Spurs. But again, at the end of the day, I think the Warriors just have too much firepower with those four. And then you add Nick Young and then you add um, Caspi, who's a sharpshooter as well, to that team who's already good at shooting threes. I mean, duh. So I think the Warriors come out of the West and out of the East. I think it's the Cavs. I just, I just don't think anybody's really going to Anybody is really going to push the Cavs as much as they think they're going to. I mean, yeah, it'll probably be the Celtics versus the Cavs. It might go five. It might go six. And then the finals, Warriors-Cavs. I honestly think the Warriors sweep the Cavs. And that's hard to say because I'm a Cavs fan. But I'm going to be honest with you. They don't have the firepower and they don't have enough explosiveness to keep up with the Warriors. I mean, just... Just to get into it, Steph Curry would normally be guarded by Isaiah Thomas or Derrick Rose, let's or Dwayne Wade. Dwayne Wade getting older, losing his step, losing his touch. Isaiah Thomas and Derrick Rose have never been known to be great defensive players, so there's a problem right there. I'm not going to get into whole breakdowns and everything like that, but I just think that the Warriors have too much offense, too much sharp shooting for the Cavs to be able to stay with them, and I think it. I fucking hate to say this, but I think the Warriors end up winning the championship again this year. And so that is all the balls we're going to talk here on Carson Sack for the 23rd episode. I will see you all next Wednesday for the 24th installment of Carson Sack Podcast, where we talk balls. As always, thank you for listening. Please please review and subscribe on iTunes. I'm also on SoundCloud, but it sounds better if I say I'm on iTunes. So please... Listen, you already are. If you are this far into the episode, thank you for staying with me. As always, I appreciate the continued support and the continued fanship that you all show. Once again, I will be here next week on Wednesday for the 24th episode of Carson Sack Podcast. Thank you all, and as always, as we close here on Carson Sack, where we talk balls, we will be seeing you.